0: So
1: loaded score. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan oh. probably sits second.
0: Oh God, what a <laughs> scandal.
1: Austin
2: Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. You're <laughs> <laughs> He's making me like I'm from a cameo. Like I'm coming in and go, hand yeah. out the bag, England to win.
3: Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Loaded Sport, where today we're going to be previewing the Premier League Championship and all the Football League action. We've got another edition of Kemp's Combat Corner and it's finally the start of the new Formula One season. Uh, recovering from his hangover from yesterday's game, no doubt, welcoming Kemp after watching Sheffield United up against Tottenham. Kemp, how do you feel on the back of that?
1: No hangover, mate. No hangover whatsoever. I'm riding on a wave, riding on cloud nine. Because if we beat Blackburn Rovers at home, Blackburn Rovers at home will be below us in the league. We are going to fucking Wembley, baby. I'm and good, Adam. How are you, mate? You're good. I on am, mate. Bike?
3: Yeah, I, I'm very good. Thank you. I went to uh, watch Manchester United, my first experience of Old Trafford. Oh, you did? You went to Old Trafford yesterday. How did you get on? I did. Oh, mate, we're great. The, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't like heights. And we were obviously in, in the higher seats because that's, that's my nice. luck. But the seats, the view was incredible. Uh, you could tell all the players were. Got a nice across-the-pitch view of Roy Keane <laughs> as well, so got to see that guy uh, from about 200, 300 yards, and he still hasn't got a clue who I am. So,
1: like is what it, it is. Like it, big um, fan, big fan of that mate. Well done. But yeah, I got just, to see just, Harry Kane. You were about 30 yards away. He were still fucking wank. Brian, <laughs> there's some things that you just can't change <laughs> in well. there.
3: And Harry Kane uh, in a Tottenham shirt is just always going to be shit, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, that's one of the talking points we can save to a little bit later uh, taking on as the ninth person to take on the listener lock-in as well we've done an Eric Ten Hag um, inspired substitution as Ben Dawson isn't with us today so Shafi, welcome to uh, Loaded Sport
0: Hello all, I hope we're all well I'm very happy to be here I'm a proud listener of the pod but um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be interested to hear your takes on the title race and all the other things that's going on in the sporting and footballing world Great to hear. So just tell us then. First of all,
3: it might have been mentioned in previous podcasts. Who it is you support and why?
0: Um, Arsenal is the team I support, and it's a it's a story that goes a long time ago back. You could call it a glory supporter because, in actual fact, my great granddad played the majority of his career at Shrewsbury Town. Strangely enough, so I should probably support Shrewsbury Town out of all the clubs. But to be honest, I don't follow him very much at all. But he also had um, a little stint at Arsenal and Charles at Man United, but he got me into watching Arsenal as a little pup. Excellent. So what's,
3: what's your uh, best memory then? Is it is
0: it the Invincibles? I'll be honest, I can't remember the Invincibles that well. So like, I do have really fond memory, but when you're a little kid, you don't really understand what you've got at that point. You know what I mean? I'm sure like, all the little Man City children right now, i will just be like, oh, this is okay, isn't it? And it's like, no, it's, it's phenomenal, but you don't realise it when you're young and your team's winning. So um, my best moment would probably be, as sad as it is, it might be that whole um, city comeback I can think of, actually, when Santi Cozola whipped in that free kick. I think that might be it.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Out of all the little memories, yeah. I was up there and he was one of my favourite players and it was the top, top moment that we got back to a little bit of silverware. Nice, nice.
3: So you're taking on the listener lock-in this week. Um, if you're not aware of all the other scores, the highest score to beat at the moment is two out of six, which uh, Paul Martin, sorry, three out of six, which Paul Martin got um, last weekend with uh, Marcus Rashford's goal being given to him at the very end after controversial around it being uh, the potential of an own goal. So we are going to kick things off with your uh, your suggestions first. Your lock. So it's the team that you are most confident is going to get a win this weekend. Any game between Friday
0: and Sunday. Now, I'm obviously going to have to jinx my own team here. I think Tempe said on the previous pod that he might be a bit nervous and he won't lock his own team, but how can I not after that 4-0 win against Everton? Ooh, I know, I know, I know. You've changed. I, know. I can't You've believe I've this myself. i am asking for a 1-0 counter-attack away win for Bournemouth with 20% possession. But, yeah, I've got to back him, haven't I? have got to back the boys and go for the Arsenal
3: Wow. See, I'd got Arsenal down as my first choice, and the reason for this is Kemp said to me, there's no chance he's picking his own team as the lock.
1: (laughs) uh, To be uh, fair, though, Shaf, you can back me up in saying that your history would suggest that you wouldn't do something. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, 100%. It it sounds really dark, but I just have a feeling that chap at Bournemouth at the minute, I can't can't remember his name managing the joint. I feel Uh, like... O'Neill, is it? Gary
4: O'Neill, is it? Yeah,
0: I just feel like his days are a bit numbered. Like, he had that little honeymoon... And now it's just a bit dwindled off. And I think,
4: I think the players
3: might be pounding him out quite soon. Okay. Not a bad shout, but um, with it being your team, it might be a bit of a jinx, but we'll find out. Um, I, I spun the wheel and, Kemp, you get to go first.
4: Oh,
1: baby, baby. So, <laughs> I've gone with... It's not out of left field, and it but it might be a little bit risky. I know Locke's meant to be gun to the head. Who do you expect to win? But to be quite honest, when I was doing my research this week, I don't know about you, Adam, but I find it a little bit difficult. I feel like there's a lot of close games, a lot of favourite teams are playing away from home and I don't like backing the, backing the away team. So, <clears throat> apart from Arsenal, you know, you look at your Man City, who've got Newcastle, who've been pretty good this season and they've got a few choices, but it's not as, not as wide-ranging as it usually is. I was sort of stuck on two, but I think I'm going to play it fairly safe, in my opinion, and I'm going to go with Arsenal's title rivals, Manchester City, at home against Newcastle, Newcastle obviously uh, lost the Carabao Cup final at the weekend, not looked the same since the World Cup, not quite looked like the team that they were before, so yeah, I'm going to back Man City to beat Newcastle at 12.30pm on Saturday afternoon. Adam?
3: I don't know how I feel about that, I, I tried to avoid that one, I think that's got a draw written all over it.
1: I just... Yeah, I tried to avoid it as well, but I got down to that or another one, I don't want to say what that other one is because you might have got it, but um, it's in the Championship, but yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, Sheffield United in the Championship playing away, Burnley playing away. Um, I don't like backing away teams, and I feel like the the strong, strong favourites this week, vast majority of them sort of are away teams. So, yeah, I'm going Man City. I'm going Man City.
3: OK. Was the uh, the Championship won Middlesbrough by any chance?
1: It was, mate. Yeah, yeah. correct. No,
3: I, <laughs> I, I did have them, yeah, to beat uh, Reading. But instead, I'm going to go with one that only uh, I came upon by looking for a scorer. And that is Northampton to win at home to Crawley. Northampton are um, currently inside of the playoffs in League 2. Crawley are second bottom. So, I think it's pretty confident that Northampton are going to take all three points. And they're at home, so I'm allowed to go for it without anybody giving me grief. So, I'm going with Northampton to beat Crawley.
2: There you go.
3: Right, so so let's have a look at the goal scorers. So, Shafi, any player that you think from Friday through Sunday from the Premier League all the way through to the National League, is going to get a goal.
0: Now, this is a bit of an outside call, this one, but he's the, he, the joint top goal scorer in league, two of them in it. I was searching far and wide for this player, and I thought, where shall I go? I had a little look in league whatever It was um, a Peterborough strike, but he played against Sheffield Wednesday away, so I didn't fancy him. But this Dennis chap for Carlisle, they're playing against Grimsby at home, and I thought to myself, after a good... FA Cup result from Grimsby, I could see a hangover away at Carlisle, where the players can't get themselves up for it, And am like, Dennis grabs himself a goal, so we go, for Dennis, Carlisle.
3: He used to play for us, Christian Dennis, he was uh, our top goalscorer. Oh, scorer, yeah,
0: scorer. yeah, 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 I didn't even realise, I didn't even realise it was the same chap I've been called the chap I've watched in the flesh, I didn't even realise. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's good, I think it was 23 goals in a season where we got relegated out of the football league.
0: Yes, he used to be a postman, I think, before he joined us, is that right?
3: I have no idea about his previous Us. 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 I know. I know.
0: Mr. Two Clubs.
1: Mr. Two Clubs. Mr. Yeah. <laughs> two Clubs. Two
4: uh, Clubs.
3: They all count. So, Christian Dennis is your goal scorer. I was really worried for a moment. I am going up first on this one anyway because of the uh, the snake grab mm-hmm. format. Uh, yeah. When you said joint second top goal scorer in League Two, I thought you was taking mine. I'm going with Sam Hoskins from Northampton up against Crawley. he scored 17 goals this season and Crawley are leaking goals at the moment. So, I'm pretty confident that he's going to get me a goal. And I'm, I'm playing the Tom Kemp card of going for uh, a, a lock and a scorer from the same team
4: uh, mm. this mm.
3: week. So, Kemp, who have you gone for as your scorer? Dare I say Haaland?
1: Mm. See, you dare say Haaland. Absolutely, you dare say Haaland. But then I had another think. And I thought, is that being a little bit too kempy? Is that being <laughs> a little bit too... Predictable is that being a little bit too, you know, boring on the unloaded sport, and that's the last thing we want to be. So, I was looking, I was searching, and I think I'm going to go with Erling Haaland. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's I feel like City may make a statement, which is why I put them down as my lock. Uh, but also, when City make a statement, it's very rare that Haaland won't be getting some sort some sometime uh, in the game. On the score sheet, so uh, Erling Haaland is my is my double bubble for my uh, my lock and my scorer.
3: Nice. This isn't one that I've actually prepared. I've absolutely messed this one up, so I'm gonna have to scramble and search for one now. Um, I don't have a wild card set, but thankfully I'm last. So, Shafi, over to you for uh, your wild card, a team that, as long now, as the bookies see them as the least favourite to win.
0: Now, Kempy um, will know I follow this team religiously because. Um, one of Arsenal's little kids are out there at the minute, big Charlie P, Charlie Patino. And they're playing Blackpool, are playing Burnley at home. And I've just looked at Burnley's lead at the top of the Championship, and they're still in the FA Cup, and I could see them going to Blackpool and taking it a bit for granted. And I've already seen Blackpool this season get a good result at home to Southampton, I believe, in the FA Cup, which I read a lot into before making this decision, not thinking they would lose to Grimsby. But yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go for Blackpool at home against Burnley.
3: Okay, good shout.
0: Ken. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think again it's a bit of a tough one this week. Um, a very tough one actually in some respects. I looked at a few different options and, mm, it's a toughie. It is a toughie. Um, I think my wild card this week. Ah, it's really tough. I'm gonna go with, and again, I'm just checking the odds because yeah, it's um, you never want to be too sure here. I think if Blackburn Rovers, yes, they are the underdogs. So Blackburn Rovers at home against Sheffield United. What? I'm gonna go Blackburn Rovers.
4: You're going against? Correct.
1: Correct. Correct. I am. I am because, and I'll tell you why. Because Sheffield United are absolute experts. In playing really well, knocking a Premier League team out of the FA Cup, which we'll come to in a little bit. And then weekend comes to a championship game and we'll play like absolute numpties um, and, uh, and we'll get beat probably 3-0. So I'm going to go with Blackburn at home against Sheffield United.
3: OK, I'm just checking The very Sheffield if...
1: United thing to do, mate, mm. trust me.
3: I'm just checking to see if mine does go down as a wild card and unfortunately it does not, which means... I'm going to go for Leeds to win away against Chelsea. Chelsea, <sighs> that we speak about quite a lot, are poor. They're playing very bad football. Defensively, they are a mess. Um, and I think Leeds will try and take a bit of advantage on the fact that Chelsea have been quite bad at late. Um, although it is at Stamford Bridge, maybe a point's realistic. But I could see Leeds maybe getting that one goal that just grabs it and takes it away from him. Just for the record, I were also looking at Manchester United to beat Liverpool away from home, but unfortunately that goes down as Man United are favourites. Oh.
0: There's
3: a bit of a oh, surprise.
0: That's crazy,
3: yeah. I'm killed. Yeah, that's yeah. why I thought I thought I'd be able to get away with that one. Manchester United being yeah. in a fair bit of form as well, but nope, unfortunately not. So, uh, just to confirm your picks are Arsenal, Christian Dennis. And just remind me of your wild card again, sorry.
4: Blackpool.
3: Blackpool, of course, to beat Burnley. Those are your uh, your locks, your scorer and your wild card. So, um, as we do every single week with the uh, the listener lock-in, you also get three games to predict a scoreline for. We start with the team that you support. So, you've already told us you feel that Arsenal are going to win. You've got them as your lock. So, Arsenal up against Bournemouth. What's the scoreline, you
0: think? I'm, I'm feeling very good about the side, but it's that little bit of... Warm for you after a good result, but I'm going to go for it. Arsenal 3 0. 3 0? I can yeah, see
3: that. Bournemouth aren't a good side at all, are they, to be fair? so.
0: I we did them 4 0 at their place, and I just don't think they're going to come up to our place and be confident at all.
3: No, you just look at the turnaround from when you played Everton at Goodison to when you played them at the Emirates, and it's a completely different ball game, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I think when you get them on that big pitch as well, and it's about that individual quality where you've got space and time, Just it's too much for some of the. The lower league players, to be honest.
3: Yeah, I could see that. Uh, next game, Manchester City against Newcastle, who Kemp's got down as his lock.
0: Um, well, I'm, I'm hoping it's not the man that Kemp's his name, but I have gone 1-0 City. I think Newcastle have an amazing defence. When they played Arsenal, I can not believe how how much, like, Atletico and Madrid they look like. Every time they lose a the ball, they get 11 men behind the ball and they're really organised. But with players like Kevin De Bruyne and, Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, Grealish, Harland. I expect him to get one, and I don't expect him to concede, so I'm going for 1-0 City.
3: OK. And Liverpool against Manchester United on Sunday evening.
0: Now, I, I always think going into a Liverpool-United game, it's going to be an absolute bomb burner. I think this every time, but I always feel a bit disappointed by the end result normally of this fixture, so I'm not getting my, myself hyped up for this one. I'm going to go for just a steady 1-1. That's Sky, mate, that. Super Sunday. Yeah, yeah just, exactly. Man United,
1: Liverpool. Hype it up for about three days. They've got Keane yeah. in studio. They've got fucking... Oh, boys, Graham Souness. Everybody's fucking kicking off and scrapping. And then yeah. it ends up being fucking nil-nil. And it's like, oh, my yeah. God, we wasted fucking three hours of our Sunday afternoon on this sport.
0: I feel like you know, it normally takes a steady half an hour as well for the players to just settle down a bit. Get the ball mm. down. Take a few mm. risks. And it's like you can just feel the... the not. Especially one at Anfield. To Especially yeah. at
4: Anfield. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they're my three picks. So, 3 0 Arsenal, 1 0 City, and 1 1 between Liverpool and United.
3: Nice. So, boring, uh, but... we'll discuss on Monday just how uh, you get on there. Three is the score to beat at the moment that was set from last weekend. And, of course, the stats will all be updated on the loaded sports community forum. We will stick on the subject of football, of course, because we saw the FA Cup take place um, over the last couple of days. Sheffield United make it into the quarterfinal, just one game away now. From uh, making it to Wembley, if they make it, Kemp, I assume I know the answer. But are you going?
1: Oh, baby, try and stop me! <laughs> try and stop me! Yeah, it's it's it looks uh, it looks promising, doesn't it? We uh, we didn't play unbelievably well last night, but to be honest, we didn't we didn't have to. Um, Spurs were really really poor, and I think the biggest concern for Spurs as well is that when they did bring Harry Kane on and they did bring Kulisevsky on, and and these players that are meant to sort of change a game. Um, they didn't look any different. They didn't look like they were going to threaten. Um, you know, usually when you're sort of on the cusp of a giant kill and you've got the entire stadium begging and pleading for the referee to blow the final whistle, we were all sort of just just laughing. It was just it was just funny. It was just very very strange because usually it's very nip and tuck. You know, you're, you're sort of battling against Spurs, and I think Spurs had a five ten minute spell in the second half where you thought, oh you know, they're coming on now, then I think it might actually be in the first half, towards the end of the first half, where Spurs were, you know, they were coming on, they were putting a lot of pressure on, um, and I expected them to score a goal. They didn't. We got in at half-time, we, we solidified well, and then we brought Elimin and Jay on, the star boy, at the end of the game, and uh, and he, he nicked the goal. So, what a night. You know, I've, I've been involved in some fantastic FA Cup nights at Bramall Lane, and that was definitely one of them. Um, but, yeah, I think, rather than a fantastic Sheffield United performance, I think you can put that down to more of a pitiful Spurs performance than anything else. And we just managed to nick a goal and uh, and get through. So delighted Blackburn next at home. I do fancy him at home in the FA Cup. I know we're backed against uh, United against Blackburn away this weekend, but that's just because of the FA Cup high. I think we're not very good at, uh, at building upon, upon a high like that. So, yeah, I fancy us doing Blackburn. Um, and then a trip down to Wembley is always welcome. Whether we win or not, it's a different story, but fuck it. It's all about the journey, isn't it?
3: It is the question on the back of that. So you saw Harry Kane obviously play against Sheffield United yesterday. Do you think that that defeat and Tottenham going out of the FA Cup signals the end of Harry Kane at Tottenham? There's been a lot of talk about the potential of moving to Manchester United. It's been there over the last couple of years. United are crying out for a striker as much as you love. Wow, it's it's not going to be a case of. He's right, God. <laughs> It's not going to be a case of he can, he is right, he can carry that United side forward. Do you think that that's kind of... Because they're not going to win the Premier League this year. They're now, of course, not going to win the Mm. FA Cup. They're out of the EFL Cup. The only real chance they've got left is winning the Champions League. And that's a big Mm -hmm. ask itself. They play in a week so time against AC Milan. They're already 1-0 down um, in that leg fixture already. Do you think that's kind of Harry Kane's like, thanks, no thanks, I'm going now?
1: Um, If Harry Kane was 27, then yes. Um, It'd be game over. Man United would come in with with a huge offer. And, right, get him paid, get him in, get him sorted, get him as our star striker for the next sort of five, six years. The problem that sides have got when signing Harry Kane at this point in his career, if I'm not mistaken, he's about 31, 32 at this point in time. So, how old is he? Oh, no, he's 29, actually. But that does surprise me that he is that young because you usually do look at Harry Kane and think he's older than he is. Um, I think Harry Kane has missed the boat for his big move. I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened when the big rumour was that he was going to go to City, not last season, season before. And I think because that didn't happen, I think he might have missed the vote. And the reason that I say that is because I've heard that uh, there's a lot of interest from United side about either Victor Osserman or Benjamin Sesko. Now, they are both younger than Kane. I think they've got a higher ceiling than Kane. And yes, Kane's you know fantastic goal scorer. You know England's leading goal scorer. Spurs, well, nearly Spurs is leading goal scorer. You know a legend of the game. I do feel like he's going to go down as sort of a an Alan Shearer type, a Matt Lattissier type, where he was an unbelievable striker. Don't get me wrong, and they were fantastic um, in front of the goal, but never really got that move to a, a team that that had consistent success and had the potential to win lots of trophies. So. Do I think Harry Kane would potentially want to leave Spurs? Yeah, but can I see anybody coming in that's going to be the right fit for Harry Kane? City have got Haaland, Liverpool have invested in Darwin Nunes, Man United, like I say, are looking at Sesco and Nosserman. What are you going to say? Harry Kane goes to Chelsea? Can you see that happening? So I think personally, Harry Kane may have missed the boat on, on a big move, and I think he will do what shearer did at newcastle what wattici did at southampton and i do think he will finish his career um for the club that he do, he does love um and unfortunately not win as many trophies because of it or any trophies because of it
3: yeah i've got to uh, i've got to disagree with you in the aspect of him missing his boat i think maybe 5 years ago yes but right now i think with the way football's going at the moment he's only 29 years old He's still got quite a long career ahead of him. I think it could still be quite important to that Manchester United side. You look at what they've already got as an attacking threat in Rashford. Sancho, Garnaccio yesterday played un- unbelievably well. And then you add Harry Kane to that. That's an attack that's only getting stronger. And even if you've only got him for the next three or four years, maybe the price tag won't be as high as before. But if you've only got him for the next three or four years, I think that puts Manchester United straight in there as title contenders. And next mm. season, I think you are looking at a much closer three-horse race.
1: No, I don't don't think I agree. And I I think the reason why is because I think Harry Kane is the type of player, and this is based on no evidence whatsoever, but I think Harry Kane is the type of player that thrives on being a big fish in a a small pond. I honestly do. I think if he goes to United, I don't think he'd get the same productivity levels as he's got at Spurs. I, I think, like I say, by the time that move does happen, if it did happen, he's 30 years of age. Is it the type of signing that Ten Hag wants to make? He wants to freshen up this squad. He wants to get some young, exciting, vibrant talent in to go up top with Garnacho And, you know, Sancho's not not particularly old um, and, and build around that. So, you know, build for the future. So, I think if I'm Man United, I'm either going Tesco or Osserman and that doesn't leave any any option for Harry Kane in the end. So, unfortunately, like I say, in terms of the a top Premier League side where he's going to win stuff, um, I think he might have missed the boat.
0: See, I, I'm going to have to disagree here. And the, the reason why I think it still definitely could happen in my eyes is because the stumbling block for me has been Daniel Levy. In previous years, I feel like he's stepped in the way of that move from happening. Like any, any money that got spoken about, 100 million, more than 100 million, Daniel Levy weren't even contemplating it. And I just think now he's hit the age of 30, Daniel Levy might look at the situation and go, now look, this is the last time. This, this money will be on the table, are we going to win anything with Harry Kane in the next two to three years or are we in a rebuilding process again? Now, if Ponte walks out the door in the summer and the next manager comes in, need the big pot of money, they want to attract a, a big-name manager with a big pot of money, that could be Harry saying that with a for sale sign on his head, actually potentially. I know that's... Mm-hmm. but They won't say that publicly, but Daniel Levy might look at that and go, it's either we sell him now, or the price tag will drop. And if you're not going to win anything in the next current season, two seasons, three seasons, then I don't think it'll be a bad idea to rebuild for them. I really don't. No. And I don't think
1: it'd be particularly a bad idea. And I have thought about that. I have thought about that, exactly what you said. But with Antonio Conte leaving, the heavy, heavy, heavy rumour is that Poch wants to walk straight back through that door. Now, mm. the reason that I say that if Conte leaves and Poch comes back... I th- honestly think Harry Kane may sign a new contract, and the I reason agree. that I say that is because Harry Kane has been—he's gone on record to say that he absolutely loves Poch. Got to Champions League final, um, you know. Probably, probably the best Spurs side in the past few years was the one under Pochettino. So, again, I think United go elsewhere. Chelsea are a fucking mess. City have got their man. Liverpool have got their man. You know, they're really the only teams that are above Spurs consistently, and obviously Arsenal as well, but. Uh, They've got their man as well. so And he's not going to go to Arsenal, let's be honest. So, they're the only teams that are consistently above Spurs. So, in terms of the league, he's not going to go anywhere else in the Premier League. But, yeah, ultimately, is he going to go abroad? Is he going to stay at Spurs? I don't know. I just can't see that move to Man United or another top Premier League team um, happening this season or at the end of the season, especially if Poch does come back. Yeah, completely fair.
3: OK, Shafi, I know it uh, must be really hurting you at the moment to be sat talking about Tottenham. That's not what you've come in here to discuss. So let's move oh, on no, to no, talking about your boys. Currently sat pretty at the top of the Premier League table. Now, you said you've listened to the uh, the podcast in the past. Kemp is very much behind this being Manchester City's year once again. Uh, myself and Sam have uh, both backed Arsenal to go on to win it. So are you confident that, that you're going to go on and win it or...?
0: Oh, uh, no, it, it, I must say it changes from week to week. And this sounds really strange because obviously I watch Arsenal every week. And I think to myself, when watching it, I see as how well we can perform when the pressure's off or we're, we're, in, we're in a home situation like yesterday we go two goals, or this is nice, we're feeling comfortable. And then I see the other side of things where we do have our games where we do show that little bit of naivety at times. Now, I think... How emotional our team is will take us quite far, but whether it will take us far enough, I don't know. I believe it will take us just below ninety points, and that's where I see us heading towards towards the end of the season. I see, us, I see us dropping at least twelve points in the next thirteen games. I do see, I do see losing two, three, or four and drawing one or two. I just, I just see that as the reality. Newcastle away, City away, we'll probably stumble in the fixtures after them. Um, so that's what I see is the Arsenal situation. The, the situation I can't read is Manchester City. Now, in previous years, you'd think to yourself, they're going to win probably 12 out of the next 13 games, whereas this year, I cannot make a read on them at all. Tom can, can vouch for me here. The one time I believed Arsenal could win the league this season wasn't watching Arsenal, it was watching Manchester City lose at home to Brentford.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So... Even though obviously it's in our hand, points clear. I'm quite confident Arsenal will drop points. And that's just because of the situation we're in with having the youngest squad in the Premier League, the youngest starting eleven, youngest coach. We are going to make some naive errors along the way. As an Arsenal fan, I accept that. When you employ Mikel Arteta and you sign these young players, you have to accept that. And I believe it will happen, unfortunately. It's whether City can have a good run at things and in all honesty, I can't make that call. So I believe Arsenal will finish just below 90 points. And I'm going to say, because Pat Guardiola has the CV, that he has City probably just above 90 points this season. So unfortunately, I'm being an absolute bottle job here. But I do get where Tom's coming from, unfortunately. I do see City lifting it. Wow. Mm.
3: I, uh, oh no. I honestly thought when you were jumping on here, you was going to at least back me up and say, yeah, no, Arsenal are going to go away and win the Premier League. Just looking at the next couple of fixtures, yes, Man City have got Newcastle this Saturday, then they've got Crystal Palace away. For Arsenal, it's a little bit of an easier running throughout the month in terms of uh, Premier League fixtures. Bournemouth at home this Saturday, um, then uh, next, uh, next Sunday away against Fulham, then the following Saturday at home to Crystal Palace. But in between there, the Europa League as well. So before the season started, in comparison to where you are now, what what was your expectations at the beginning of the season and how do they compare to what you're thinking now? You've said yourself you think you're going to get 90, you'll probably finish second. Before the season, I'm assuming you'd have taken second
0: place for Arsenal? Oh, 100%. I thought, to be honest, going into the season, obviously we saw him spur sign like the Sumer at Charlotte's um Did he get Ben Taker and Kuloveski on? permanent transfers, and you're just watching that. Was Romero in this window or was that the window before? I can't even remember. But either way, you're watching that business and you think to yourself, good gosh, they're getting some players coming through the door that are entering the prime and all the other clubs around us are doing the same. So like Newcastle, with your Man Uniteds, I you thought, this is just getting more and more
4: competitive.
0: But I've never, in the past two years, ever since the Williams signing for Arsenal, have I actually critiqued the signing. I really do think most of our signings have been eight out of ten or above. So when we made them sign, I thought to myself, we're definitely going to be competing for top four. I believe the whole squad as a whole is getting better week in, week out. The manager is. So I was confident going into the season we would compete, if not get top four. A bit of a similar situation to the season before. But in all honesty, some of the players, like I think one of the biggest ones has to be Zinchenko. When I watch him. I mean, I'm biased after the last two fixtures, but we've seen him score one from outside the box against Villa on the right-hand side. And then against Everton, we've seen him pop up on the right side in open play when on the team sheet he's at left-back. It's like, this isn't just a good performance. This, this reminds me of like when we saw Robertson and Trent bombing on and you think to yourself, are we playing football slightly different now? Is, is the game changing in front of our eyes? Is Mikel Arteta leading the way of a different style of football, where we're seeing a back four turn into a back three and your four-back has complete, a, a complete free-roaming um, role in the team. It's it's ridiculous. So, I am I am very, very shocked when watching us. to be honest. Yeah, it is a surprise. It's a very good surprise. Okay, good,
3: good. Uh, last thing I just want to talk about uh, surrounding football. Um, is FA Cup related? It is a 2-1 victory away from home for Grimsby up against Southampton. They are the first team in FA Cup history that since the first round all the way through to the fifth round have beaten a side that is in a division above them to get this far. So that's the first time that's ever happened. And
1: I'm with a Mark. You love a start, and I love you. Wow. Man.
3: Thank you very, Super very much. Super um, And I don't know if you've seen the penalty that was, or one of the two penalties that was given for Grimsby. And I think, if anything, it, it encourages my argument against VAR. Um, Kemp, I think I shared it earlier in the, the loaded sport chat. I'll share it onto the forum for everybody as well. The the penalty that was given against Southampton for a little tap on the back, I think, was uh, was oversold, and I think VAR made an absolute error regarding it. Kemp, what are your mm. thoughts off the back of seeing it? So
1: you're talking about you're talking about the penalty that was awarded to Grimsby Town, yes, uh, after a very soft tackle on the on, on a Grimsby player from a Southampton player. My response to what you're saying there is
0: fucking lighten up, you cunt, mm-hmm. Who's
1: fucking Grimsby.
0: Fucking little Grimsby,
1: 16th uh, in no, League Two. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I can't get behind you there. If you can't stop be Grimsby it. at home, stop yeah. it. Stop no, stop that's, it. Uh, my point is
3: more regarding the penalty that was given. They've I done don't well. Don't them. get me wrong. They've done well. They've <laughs> Not gone away on
0: Grimsby's
1: bonfire. <laughs> Grimsby are a 16th in League Two, and they've just beaten a Premier League team, and you want to kick off about a little penalty? What, they, what, what are they, they called, fishermen? Are they
0: fishermen? The, 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 I don't even know. The
1: they've got some Mariners, I think. Well, well, we're all marines here, Adam. We are are all marines here. I'm not having that. (laughs) Listen, if it's Liverpool going out to a soft-ass penalty or or a top-flight team or even a championship team, then fair enough, all right, I'll have that conversation. But I'm not going to sit here after. I'm not going to tar Grimsby's fucking history-making result by talking about a a foul that's gone against him. Yeah, that's a win for the little men. And, uh, and, And Adam, you should know of all people, the little men need a win sometimes.
3: We need a win all the time, mate. It's gone from us. We're not like little men needing a win now. We are <laughs> little men that need that win. To... We're falling out of the playoffs very soon, so we need a miracle at the moment. But yeah, okay. Grimsby, they, they took the game to Southampton. They played really well. They've got themselves into uh, the, the quarterfinals. They're now one win away from making it to the... Uh, In all no
1: seriousness. And the reason that I say that, and the reason that I say, you know, sort of get over the VAR thing, and I understand why you're saying what you're saying because of the... The opinion that you do have on VAR, and and having seen it, do I think it was a penalty? No, but that result is going to change Grimsby's trajectory as a football club. The FA Cup, for all its faults, the you know one of the faults being that the fact that the semi-final is at Wembley. I don't think that should be the case, but you know we'll uh, we'll 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 leave that there for now. And um, one of the good things is that you do you know the smaller teams that do get far, they do get a massive financial reward for that. Team like Grimsby, League Two. You know, not the best facilities, not the best team. You know, not the best squad, not not the best of anything. They're 16th in League Two. That financial boost, that that win, getting to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, that will provide Grimsby. That is worth its weight involved. So, yeah, maybe not. You may be right, Adam. You may be right in the in the in the VAR discussion. But ultimately, I don't want that to take away anything from Grimsby. They deserve what they've got. I think they took about. I think they took. They took thousands and thousands down to. Southampton for that trip and it were a, a long old trek for him on a Wednesday night so hats off to him I'm delighted for him delighted for the club and delighted for everybody involved so well done Grimsby and Adam you can stick your VAR complaining up your arse
3: <laughs> maybe I'm just jealous they won the against Notts County and Wrexham in the playoffs last year and they're in Football yeah. League mate
1: Yeah, well, that's what took them to the Football League yeah, that's <laughs> it. it's
3: kind of where I was going with it and um, we'll get there one day I got there in the National League on Football Manager and that's as close as I'm going to see for a long long time Shafi, just before we do let you go, I've also just remembered that I've got to tell you from Skinny, has sent a message saying he loves you and thank you very much for covering him um, throughout the football section. So I think the best place to leave it for you is just by letting us know who is your sporting hero and why?
4: Who
0: is my sporting hero and why? Well, we, we found out during the pod that I'm a two-team boy, so it's Arsenal and Chesterfield, unfortunately, because I can't go to London every week and pay them silly prices. Um, I ended up watching um, a lot of Chesterfield through my growing up. And one of the first games I went to was probably one of his worst games. It was um, Crew Alexander versus Chesterfield, and it was 5 5. I love a player called Tommy Lee. Now, uh, Tommy, Lee, Tommy, Lee. Tommy, Lee. Tommy Lee had long hair and he did not care. If anybody knows the chance, <laughs> you know who this boy is. And to be honest, he's one of the few players at the lower league. A lot of the time when you see someone with a lot of talent. We move on very, very quickly. Normally, it takes six months a year. And I don't know if it was because of medical issues, but we kept Tommy Lee for probably four or five years longer than we should have. And it was ridiculous. I thought to myself, this boy should be in the Championship, maybe even touch the top-end Championship. But no, that Chesterfield would lead to League One football. So, I love watching him and I thought he was a great character at the club.
3: I, I'm a big fan of that one. That's, uh, it's about time we had somebody that uh, used Chesterfield players or spoke about Chesterfield. Uh, so, I appreciate that and I'm a big fan of uh, Tommy Lee myself. You know, best
1: thing uh, so about Tommy Lee, Adam. Coach, yeah. Yes. Best thing about Tommy Lee is that he's currently the academy goalkeeping coach at Sheffield United. Praise my
0: heart. <laughs> no. No, honestly, mate, that,
3: that doesn't surprise me. He was such a good goalkeeper. Like like Sheffield just said, too good for the division that we were in all the time. And I think had we actually got him a competent defence, we'd have probably got a lot higher with him.
0: Mm. I think he was rumoured to Leeds for years, but I don't know if it was medicals or what, but I'm very happy he kept failing. He, was his own, was he didn't want to go. He was his own
3: um, agent. That's crazy. Yeah, he didn't have an agent and he chose not to go. Not sure what, what the reason was, but he chose oh. not to go and I'm grateful for it.
0: I actually love him. I'm in love with him. I love Tommy Lee. <laughs> right, we we'll end on that.
3: There we go. <laughs> Shafi, thank you very much for joining us for your lock-ins. You are going to stick around to discuss uh, Kempy's Combat Corner which we'll be back to discuss in just a few moments time. Welcome back to episode 35 of Loaded Sport. It's now time for another edition of Kempi's Combat Corner. Kemp,
1: over to you. Hello, yes. We're back. We're back again. Back once again with the Renegade Master. And we talk today on Kempy's Combat Corner about the return of the consensus greatest mixed martial arts fighter of all time. Um, we're welcoming today our very special guest for Kempi's Combat Corner, Joe Shaffey. How are we doing, mate? You Okay. Yeah, very good yourself. Good, yes, marvelous, excited, buzzing, can't wait, can't fucking wait for this I weekend's can't lie. Fights.
0: I am buzzing that we're all over with the uh, Tommy Fury and Jake Paul circus. Let's not get the down. Only to, one. Let's get down to some real goat talk from here.
1: Not the only one. Not the only
0: one. Yeah, I, I must admit, I absolutely
1: uh, begrudged talking about Jake Paul, Tommy Fury on Kempy's combat corner last time out. But to be honest, mate, it was either that or the Floyd Mayweather fight. So yeah, true. <laughs> you, you, you you, take your money, pay your money. You take your choice on the uh, on the last weekend's fight. So after a bit of a circus in in London and in in Saudi Arabia last weekend, as as you you just mentioned there, let's talk about some real goat shit. And the reason we say real goat shit is because um, the the main event for UFC 285, which is taking place this Saturday night at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, is, as I've said, the consensus greatest mixed martial artist that we have ever seen. It's the return of John Bones Jones after three years of inactivity, shaft. Three years of wow. being out of the cage. Don't um, feel like, like it. No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Obviously, the most recent uh, appearance by John is the very controversial victory over Dominic Reyes. A lot of people thought he lost that fight, myself included but he got his hand raised in the end and defended his Light Heavyweight Championship of the World. He then vacated his Light Heavyweight Championship of the World. Uh, He last fought on February the 8th, 2020, so it's just over three years now, a shade over three years now, and John has, um, in the meantime, been changing his physiology in many ways to Mm -hmm. uh, increase his weight healthily and steadily, so that he can compete this weekend for the vacant UFC heavyweight championship on the world and to be crowned the baddest man on the planet. So, Shaf, before we go into any sort of predictions or any sort of breakdowns of the fights or anything like that, I just want to know your pre-UFC 285 thoughts and your feelings coming into this card.
0: Now, I can't lie, coming into the card... I was just completely focused on Jones versus Garner. I thought to myself, that, that's the only thing that I could think about, watching the embedded, doing the research for today. I thought to myself, give me some John Jones, Garner. And Ben, obviously, you sent me the full card earlier, and I had a little look, and you pointed out a chat called Bo Nickel. Ben, when I went through the rest of the card as well, there's some there's some not just current great fighters now, but I think fighters in 10 years' time you'll be talking about the best ever, maybe. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's a real sleeper for the, um, I don't want to say casual fan, but for somebody that's not, um, that, 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 like you said, you know, you, even you, you we, we've been watching the UFC together for, God, it's coming up to 10 years now, which is scary in itself. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we as, as fans, looked at the card, and it's all about John Jones, it's all about the return of the GOAT, but then, actually, like you say, if you do look down the card, there's some real fascinating fights on this card for for various reasons. You know, whether it be an up, up and coming contender, a fighter that's been struggling a little bit, and they're you know very entertaining and a little bit donkey, and they may maybe fighting for their place mm-hmm. on the roster without naming names. <laughs> no yeah, yeah. Um or, or whether it be a, a contender like Shavkat Rachmanov, um, who is. Yeah, I tried Shavkat Rachmanov. Oh, there you go. I got it in the end. <laughs> or, or a real, real upstart prodigy. And, and it's not, it's not the pudding to say that Bo Nickel is a prodigy. Um, it, it's a real varied and really exciting card. Um, so we'll start with the prelims. Then there are a few fights on the prelims that do look a bit look a little bit tasty. Um. One of them, or the first one that I won't mind talking about, is Derek Brunson versus Dreyfus Du Now, that fight is not even the main event of the Freelands. And that's a fantastic fight. Make no mistake about it. Um, du Plessis coming off a win against Darren Till, who, <laughs> excuse me, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which way you look at it, has been released from the UFC today. Or yesterday. And uh, Derek Brunson coming off a loss against Jared Cannonier. So no no slouchers in terms of their records, their resumes and who they fought. Um, it's a bit of a strange one middleweight these days because you've got the Izzy and Alex Pereira uh, battle at the top and then you've got your Vittori's and your Whittakers just underneath that. Do you think the winner of this fight, whether it be Du or Derek Brunson, can kind of fire themselves back into sort of a top five spot and maybe the next contender for the belt? Or do you think they might need another little fight between that before they get to the title sort of picture?
0: I'm I'm going to be really harsh with this matchup, right? do see them as a pair of sort of gatekeeper standards. So they're the sort where I could see them in and around that top 10. Maybe if they go on a run, top 5. But I would be very impressed if we saw Ira Vito in a title fight in the upcoming few years. I know that Duplessis, how do you pronounce his name? Duplessis. 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 His performance against Till. I know he beat Till until we're coming off a few losses, but that fight to me wasn't a high-caliber fight. In other words, yeah, yeah, I think if you took the top 15 in that fight, you you win it, in my opinion. And um, for that reason, I don't really know where to go with it. Who who are you thinking? I don't know. I don't
1: know. I think regardless, whichever way you look at it, I think it's... um, Whoever wins this fight, and I know it sounds stupid, and we've, we've touched on Bo Nickel a little bit so far. Bo Nickel's 3-0 in his professional career. Two of those fights coming on Dana White's contender series, um, which is, for anybody that, that's not uh, quite aware of that in the UFC, it's basically where the, the chairman of, of the UFC, Dana White, puts on some uh, fights in the UFC Performance Institute for some up-and-coming fighters, maybe just starting their pro career. And if they do show a lot of potential, they will sign into UFC contracts. Bo Nickel, as I've mentioned, and we will get onto a little bit more detail when we do talk about his fight. But as daft as it sounds, I can sort of see the winner or the loser fighting Bo Nickel in three fights time.
4: Really, and yeah. Being,
1: and being that gatekeeper for Bo Nickel to kind of sort of push himself into the top ten, top five. Yeah. So I do, I do genuinely think that this fight is kind of a right, okay, Brunson versus DuPlessis. Whoever wins, you know, Bo Nickel, he's going to win at main, you know, at main yeah. card, you know, see Bo Nickel fighting whoever next. So,
4: yeah. I
1: think it's a little bit of a middleweight, tickle your balls moment before they get to the, to the mm. in, in effect, middleweight main event, which is the opening the main card. So, I'm not sure where to go on that one. I think maybe Derek Brunson, maybe. Yeah, that's what I'm or, thinking as
0: well. Just based it, on both of their performances yeah. against Till, I think.
1: It's a good fight. It's a good fight. I'm looking forward to it, but I think Derek Brunson gets it done. So, the next fight, which is going to be an interesting <laughs> one for, for sort of different reasons, really. Um, Cody Noel of Garbrand, who's a little bit of a meme these days in the UFC. Uh, very, very entertaining. Don't get me wrong. A very, very entertaining fighter, but hasn't got the highest fight IQ, one would argue. Um, he. Like I said, he's very entertaining. He he goes for the win all the time. He goes for the knockout all the time and doesn't really focus too much on defending himself, which sometimes can work to his detriment. Um, No Love is the former UFC Bantamweight champion of the world. And since he won the belt against Dominic Cruz, he has had six fights and lost five of them. And four of those losses were via knockout or TKO.
4: So, in the pocket,
1: throwing right hands. In the pocket, throwing right hands. Yeah. So it's it's Cody Garbrandt uh, leading the prelims against uh, Trevin Jones. Um, Trevin Jones is equally not on a great run. Knocked out Mario Bautista in 2021, but then since then has lost three fights on the spin. So it's sort of a loser leaves town match. I think this one. I think whoever yeah. loses this fight will, you know, if it's Cody Garbrandt, it'll probably end up in Bare Knuckle FC yeah um, and and if Trevin Jones loses um he'll probably open a gym somewhere or something I don't know, but it's gonna be it's always an interesting fact when it comes to Cody and olaf garbrandt um chef how how do you see this one going apart from a pure donkey fest?
0: yeah, I can't lie with 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 Cody's ability, he should be having a better career than he's been having of recent fights or, because the
1: fact that he trains a team alpha male.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there, there you yes. go. There you go. Because when I watch him, I think to myself, you should actually be quick. How fast are you? You should be quicker to the punch against your bang average fighters. So you look at a record with Jones, a 13-9 record. You'd expect someone like Cody with his attributes and ability just to be able to pick him off. But you just know that in a blink of an eye, he might get dragged into a dogfight and next thing you know, he's swinging away and he's looking up at the ceiling. So... I am going to go for a Cody win, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if we saw Cody face down.
1: Yeah, it's... The, the, the exciting thing and the difficult thing about picking a Cody Garbrandt fight <clears throat> is that it is literally a lottery. If Cody <laughs> Garbrandt lands the, lands the punch in the pocket with the right hand, chances are he wins. But also, if he gets beaten to the punch, which 99 times out of 100 he does, <laughs> um, he ain't going to win. So... It wouldn't surprise me, like you say, if Trevin Jones did walk away with the win and Cody was face down. But I think with Trevin Jones and the quality or lack thereof that he has shown in his previous fights um, uh, with it against the, the opponents that he's fought, I am going to probably back Cody Noel of Garbrandt on this
0: one. Yeah, are, are
1: you quite happy with that?
0: Yeah, yep. I'm happy to pull you. I'm just getting a bit excited now because we're moving on to, I think we can pull with your boy you've introduced him to me.
1: Go on, take it away. Take it away. I certainly shall, Shafi. I certainly shall, because it is the UFC, the official UFC debut of Bo Nickel. Now, before the start of fight week, I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't know who Bo Nickel was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I, I seen his face, because he trained with Jorge Masvidal on the build-up to his short-notice fight against uh, Usman um, in Fight Island, if you remember that one, the, oh, yeah. the short-notice one. Yeah. He trained with Usman at American Top Team on the build-up to that fight. Um, let me just go through his collegiate wrestling um, uh, qualifications. Well, oh, I've not looked at this. So, gold medal at the Under-23 Championships red, representing the USA uh, in 2019 at Budapest. National Championships 2019 Las Vegas gold medal. NCAA Division One. So, Division One is the elite of the elite. 2019 won the £197 Division gold medal. 184-pound division in 2018, gold medal. 184-pound division in 2017, St. Louis, gold medal. 174-pound division in 2016 in New York City, silver medal. Before that, Big Ten championships, 2019 gold medal, 2018 gold medal, 2016 gold medal, 2017 bronze medal. He is, without a shadow of a doubt, a prodigy. He is an unbelievable wrestler. And I think what makes me so excited about him, and let, let, I'll just go through the his his record as an NCAA Division I um, wrestler, his record in the NCAA throughout his college, his university career, is 120 to 3. That is ridiculous. Wow. Absolutely ridiculous. Just missed out on the 2020 Olympic um, team trials. Um, but... Yeah, what a what a phenom he really is. He's 27 years of age. He's coming into his athletic prime. And I think, like I say, what impresses me about him is you see a lot of wrestlers coming to the UFC and stick to what they know, you know, 120 to three record in the NCAA. You know, he's, he's not messing about. You know, he's, you know, it is what it is. But his striking is really, really impressive. He won his first fight via strike. So a really brutal knockout. And in the contender series, in both fights, he really hurt his opponent with strikes. So I think this kid's going to go all the way. I really do. I think he's a nightmare for the middleweight division. The middleweight division, as we've discussed, is a little bit all over the place at the minute. Um, And yeah, the the current champion couldn't stuff a takedown if his life depended on it. He is a world-class kickboxer. So I think Bo Nickel is a nightmare for the middleweight division. I think he will be one of those fighters that... Because of his wrestling background, he won't have that many fights in the UFC before he kind of does take the the main stage. So I can see him being sort of 10-0 and, and and being in the position for a title shot, which is crazy to think of. But I see that in as well. UFC is a lot more common than than in boxing and other sports. If you're not aware, he is fighting Jamie Pickett. Jamie Pickett, a decent pro, 34 years of age, 13 wins, eight losses, a pretty standard record in the UFC. Uh, but to be quite honest, Bo Nickel will absolutely run through him and submit him in the first round, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I see things going the same way. Um, the thing I found amazing looking at Bo Nickel because when when you see you hear about this wrestling prodigy early on in their UFC career, like if I give an example, when you look at Usman, he initially came into the sport wrestling and tried to do a little bit of striking maybe here and there. But his jiu-jitsu game just weren't there. So he was okay getting it to the floor or keeping it standing. But when it came to actually using the submission and using that trade on the floor, it took a long time to develop. And to be honest, I think that still developing but who's now even where he is in his career. Whereas Bo Nickel, my gosh, the speed of the transitions when he's on the ground, it's just it's just like lightning. You just can't believe he's three fights into a UFC career. So yeah. when I saw these highlights, I thought to myself... I don't know more about this kid, so I did a little bit more research. And the people talking about him, you're talking Henry Cejudo, um, the C gold medalist, Henry Cejudo, how he like to call himself? And he's backing this kid to go all the way. I mean, you hear John Jones talking about him in a press conference. And when you see someone like John Jones meet somebody outside the cage, it feels like a bit of a moment. It, 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 you get that weird feeling. So there are only two other big instances I can think of where John bumps into someone outside the cage and the views go mental and people are going crazy. And that's like GSP outside that nightclub. And it's also like Conor McGregor when they were like looking at watches and things. And yeah. when I saw John Jones in this, um, this chat, I, I just couldn't believe like how comfortable he felt in John's presence. I was like, this, this is somebody who's not not suffering from imposter syndrome. This is somebody who's here to really make a statement. And I thought to myself, gosh, to have all that pedigree, have all these skills and also have your head in the game. Yeah, I'm with you, Tom. I think you're going all the way. Yeah, and what
1: impresses me about Bo as well, and not just his fighting ability, which he's got bags and bags of, but you look at him and he's 27 years of age and he's already the lead corner for a lot of his teammates. You know he's, he's 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 a he's a lead corner for a lot of American top team. Um, you know guys that are fighting. You know in in elite elite level competition. So it, I think he's got a good background, a good pedigree, um, uh, and I genuinely do think he's going to go all the way. I mean, you mentioned there the speed of his transitions; it's just ridiculous. And if anybody's a, a UFC fan or, or you know a maybe a casual fan, doesn't watch UFC that much, but wants to get into it a little bit more, do me one favour tonight or tomorrow or whenever you can before the bone Nickel fights at the weekend, go on YouTube. It's not a long clip because Bo Nickel's not had that many MMA fights, but look at highlights for Bone Nickel, I implore you to do so. Um, next fight on the card, it's a bit of a, a strange one, but it's, it's going to be a good fight. All, but nonetheless, I think... Uh, it is um, Matthias Gamrot, who recently lost against Benil Dariush, which is no no shame in that. Dariush is right at the top of the division at the moment um, against a very informed Jalen Turner. Um, the, the fight is taking place in the lightweight division. Lightweight division is very stacked, has been for a long time. I feel like this fight is a good fight, but because it's surrounded by absolute belters, it's sort of gone under the radar a little bit. Where do you see the, the hammer falling between Matthias Gamrot and Jalen Turnershoff?
0: I'll be honest, I don't quite know where the hammer will land, as in I don't really know who to back. But when I was doing the research for this particular fight, one thing that really like, amazed me, and I thought it showed a lot of progress within the sport, Well, the, these are two mixed martial artists, as in I could see either winning by a knockout, by a submission, or decision it's like, it's not It's not often you get fights in this sport where you think to yourself, both fighters are capable of all three. So, to be honest, Tom, I'm going to put this back in your court. No idea. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, I get it. And and I've, I'm going to go with Gamrot. I think even though he's coming off a loss against Benil Dariush, like I say, Dariush is, is the tippy top of the division. But I can see Jalen Turner winning. And I think the what you mentioned there, the, the all-round mixed martial artists, that's what the sport's turned into. You know, mm-hmm. 25, 30 years ago when the UFC started, it was all different disciplines coming together to find out what was the most effective. You know, Hoist Gracie, um, tapping out Ken Shamrock and, and stuff like that, you know, all these different martial artists that were specialists in their field coming together to, to fight, to see whose who's type of martial art was the most effective. Um, but now, and I think we saw it, first of all, with Rory MacDonald. I think Rory MacDonald was the first Real all-round mixed martial artist mm-hmm. that you can't look at him and think, oh, he's started he got a background in strike You know, he's got a background in this. Kids these days that are coming up, you know, that they're mixed martial artists and they train their entire life to be so. So you're absolutely right in that respect. I can see Gamrot winning by sub decision, technical knockout. I can see him by winning by any means, but I do think Gamrot is going to come away with this one. Next fight on the card is Jeff Neal versus. I'm going to do it again. Shavkat Rachmanov. Rakh- um, Rachmanov is from Uzbekistan. He's not quite Dagestani. Mm. <laughs> he's from Uzbekistan, and yeah, um, his his record is is is, is terrifying to be yeah. honest. <laughs> um Every single fight in his entire career has n- not one single fight has gone the distance. Every fight has been either by knockout or by submission. He is a Monster, an absolute monster. And if I was a welterweight, I would be terrified of this guy. Um, yeah, Shavkat Rakhmanov against Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal, another one of those fighters that's sort of a bit of a gatekeeper in the division. Total fights 19, 15 wins, four losses. He's lost one by a knockout, one by a submission, a couple by decision. I, I can't see past Shav- Shavkat Rakhmanov. He's, he's number nine in the welterweight rankings. And I think after this, Fight um, this weekend. I, I can truly see him. Um, you know, being seventeen and zero, and uh, rather than the sixteen and zero that he is now, and definitely in title contention. He's he's a master of combat sambo, which Habib sort there, of though. brought to the, uh, the 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 UFC um, a few times ago. Obviously, Uzbekistan is not that far from Dagestan in terms of geographical location, so. It it's going to be a very difficult assignment for Jeff Neal to stop the ever-coming Shavkat-Raknamov train. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Shavkat-Raknamov. Raknamov is really struggling. I'm just going to call him Shavkat. Um, I'm going to go with him, probably to win by submission. I would say probably in the first round, to be honest. I think he's going to make quick work of Jeff Neal.
4: Hmm.
0: When I was watching Raknamov earlier, the thing that like really stood out to me, and I thought... I've very rarely seen this with mixed martial artists. One boxer I can think of that does this is um, Triple G. And Rachmanov walks forward, but he doesn't really come at like a blistering pace. It's just a constant, like, gear three, gear four, and it's just so uncomfortable for his opponents. And it makes for a really good watch because you're just thinking to yourself, that opponent's going to have to do something at some point because they're going to start wilting or they're going to have to roll the dice. It make, makes for very uncomfortable watching The other thing that I thought was elite about him was when he knocks people down or has people in difficult positions, he doesn't rush his work. He just picks his shots and goes home for his early night when he picked them shots correctly. So yeah, incredible fighter from what I've seen. I really think he's another one that's going to go all the way.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think welterweight in the next couple of years is going to go through a little bit of a transition period. To be honest, Usman, who has been at the top of the division, he may beat Leon Edwards in their in their rubber match, and we'll talk about that closer to the time. um, With some news on a loaded sport uh, contributor actually attending the event. Um, But but yeah, I think there is going to be a changing of the guard in that division in the in the fairly nearish future. Um, And I think that changing of the guard does involve Shavkat. Um, Next is the co-main event of the evening. It is for the UFC Women's Flyweight Championship of the World. It is Valentina Shevchenko, the bullet, against Alexa Grasso. Um, Alexa Grasso, she's on a four-fight win streak. She's beat Kim Ji-yeon, Macy Barber, Joanne Wood and Vivian Araujo. Um, A few decisions in there, one submission, a rear naked choke. It's very, very difficult to find contenders for Valentina Shevchenko at the moment. Valentina mm-hmm. has been so dominant in her division. She is currently the, the, the record holder for the most uh, title defences in the women's game in, in the UFC. Um, if she wins this weekend, I think that will be her eighth title defence, so only five away from Jon Jones's record. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as I say, only five. That is a lot of defences, to be fair. But Valentina is, is consensus, the best pound-for-pound women's fighter in the game right now. And Alex Sagrasso has, you know, she's got some decent wins under her belt. But I think this weekend, Shaf, I don't know if you agree, Valentina's going to do what Valentina does.
0: Yeah. Um, Valentina and I'll say Bolt are the two fighters I think with bare divisions that, not, well, not Bolt with 155, Bolt in 145, where you see them and you put them on a pedestal and you look down and you go, who is actually going to be the person to give this person a fight at this division? And to be honest, with Shevchenko, I definitely don't think Grasso is the person. Styles make fights. Grasso is going to want to make it's a bit of a brawl. Shevchenko, I don't think he's going to have any of it. Keep it raining to pick her off. I don't think he's going to be a pretty night for Grasso. Um, oh. This is a question for you, Tom. I don't know. I don't know if you know how I just said there. I can't see the person who's going to give Shevchenko a fight. Can you? Have you seen anyone at all? Because, to be honest. Yes. Oh, you have? Oh, yes. right. G- Give yes. me because I'll be quite honest. I'm yes. looking forward to, i yes. looking forward to a Chef
1: this, this is the one that I'm already looking forward to, mate. I really am. So do you remember, not too far in the in the rear view mirror, when Molly Meatball Beccan thought she was going to submit <laughs> a lady called Erin Blanchfield? I don't know if you remember that.
4: Yeah, she was, I, I do remember UFC Molly. 281
1: in New York City saying Pads, <laughs> I honestly think I'm going to change it. <laughs>
4: Mm, yeah, and, I do remember this, it didn't happen. And
1: then she got her arm ripped out of the, ripped off her body <laughs> in the first round by Erin Blanchfield. That same Erin Blanchfield, um, a couple of weeks weekends ago, defeated Jessica Andrade in the second round by a rear naked choke. Oh, Jessica I didn't follow this. Andrade, former champion of the world. Um, Erin Blanchfield is 23 years of age. She is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under Henzo Gracie. Doesn't get much more prestigious than yeah. that. Twelve fights, eleven wins, one loss, and that one loss was her third fight in a fourth fight in her career.
0: Okay.
1: When you know that's in twenty nineteen, when she was probably about eighteen so. herself. Yeah. So Erin Blanchfield versus Valentina Shevchenko is honestly pound for pound, men or women don't give a shit. One of the fights I'm most excited for because that is honestly when I can truly see Valentina being beaten for the UFC uh, Flyweight Championship of the World, I am that confident, I am on that much of a hype train about Erin Blanchfield, I really do think she'll get the job done, but first of all Valentina does have to beat Alexa Grasso this weekend, and I think she will take a leaf out of Erin Blanchfield's book, and I think she will submit Alexa Grasso this weekend Um, I think, like you say, Alexa will get a little bit frustrated I think she'll uh, sort of overcommit um, and I think she'll get caught. I think I can see Valentina taking her back, and it wouldn't surprise me if she choked her from from a standing position. So, yeah, she'll jump on her back, she'll choke her out, and I think she'll make fairly quick work of this fight. Yeah. So, with all that being said, we've it's talked the... about Derek Brunter, we've talked about Duplessis, we've talked bow, about bow. Garrod, Bo Nickel, Gamrot, Neil Rachmanov, Chefchenko, Grasso, and now we talk about the return. Of the consensus greatest UFC fighter to ever wear a pair of gloves, Joseph Schaffy. The return of John Bones Jones.
0: I'm, I'm going to just tuck this question right in there because I've just thought of it now. If 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 he wins, is there any debate? No, no, there isn't. To be is honest, it? it's a
1: struggle to see a debate anyway. Yeah. I think the only debate that you can have is the Dominic Reyes performance, the the Thiago Santos performance, where he he probably lost at least one of those fights. But ultimately, the resume is stupid. So anybody, again, I'll repeat myself, but anybody who's not too familiar with the UFC, John Jones is the former light heavyweight championship of the world. He's the record holder for most defenses in any division, with 13 to his name. 13 title defences is absolutely ridiculous. And he has fought and beat a who's who in the UFC. 28, 28 fights, 26 wins, um, one no contest, and one loss. Now, this loss wasn't actually a loss, it was a disqualification. And the disqualification was questionable at best. So it's the only blemish on, on John Jones's record. Apart from that, it's been pretty perfect. The names, if you are a UFC fan, you'll <laughs> respect this. Dominic Reyes, who was a strong contender. Tiago Santos, the exact same. He was murdering people before he got to John Jones. Um, Alexander Gustafsson. Daniel Cormier, twice. One of those was overturned, but again, he did beat him twice at the time. Um, Glover Teixeira, former champion. Gustavson again, he's beaten him twice. Chael P. Sonnen, Vitor Belfort, Rashard Evans, Leo Machida, Quinton Rampage Jackson, Mauricio Shogun, who are Ryan Bader. The list goes on and on. Stephen Bonner, um, again, Matt Hamill, that fight was, again, the one that he got disqualified in. But, I mean, that resume, that CV, it's absolutely unbelievable. He is the consensus greatest pound-for-pound fighter of all time, and he does make his return and his debut to the UFC heavyweight division. The elephant in the room is Francis Ngannou. Um, Francis was the undisputed UFC heavyweight champion of the world, couldn't come to terms on a new contract with the UFC, was released from his contract and therefore the UFC Heavyweight Championship for the world, of the World is up for grabs. So John Jones will be fighting against the number one contender, the man who recently did lose against Francis Ngannou on a points decision and then uh, beat Taito Ivasa in a bit of a barnstormer of a fight to get himself back to the number one contendership for this title. They will square off in the main event. It will be for the vacant, undisputed UFC Heavyweight Championship of the World the former interim champion of the world, Cyril Garn, against the former UFC undisputed light heavyweight champion of the world. Shafi, <sighs> what the hell's going to happen this weekend, man?
0: Mate, I think there's about a thousand different narratives here. So we'll start off with, I think, the biggest elephant in the room. That is John James, because he's obviously put on a ton of weight.
4: <laughs> so, yeah. so
0: John's not the same lanky boy he was three years ago, but he's not exactly felt like Cyril Garn or Francis Ngarno either. What I'm going to find interesting is what Francis did to Garn by quite literally a bit of laying and praying, by taking him down, putting weight on top of him. Will he be just as susceptible to that with the technique and skill of John Jones' takedown defence? Over to you, Tom, what do you think? What yeah, do you think?
1: Um, in the true spirit of John Jones, I was just drinking a beer then, so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, when you talk about John Jones, you've got to get involved. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think when it comes to um, wrestling um, and the grappling side of the game, one of the biggest things that that that, that made Hoist Gracie successful with his Brazilian jiu-jitsu is that he found a way to nullify an opponent who wasn't skilled in that regard on the ground, regardless of size, regardless of size. I think Hoist Gracie weighed about 170 pounds and was choking sumo wrestlers at one point. Um and that will be repeated on a larger scale this weekend, in my opinion. John Jones is one of the greatest all-round mixed martial arts fighters of all time. His strikes are deadly, his jiu-jitsu is deadly, and his wrestling is absolutely deadly. And to give you an example of that, Daniel Cormier, who was a unbelievable collegiate wrestler. We talked about Bo Nichols' accomplishments earlier on um, Daniel Cormier, gold medal, gold medal, gold medal, gold medal, gold medal at the U.S. U.S. National Championships before becoming an MMA fighter. He's also a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, and he was an NCAA and Olympic Olympic level freestyle wrestler. Was Daniel Cormier, and John Jones took him down at fucking ease, and that is what scares me about John Jones's ability. To about
0: like a paper aeroplane.
1: Oh mate, no, no, no problem whatsoever. It was like he was fighting a blow up doll. Honest to god, it, it, it is scary what that man John Jones can do. His technique is unbelievable. His skill, his resolve, his cardio, his conditioning. There's a reason why we call him potentially the greatest of all time. Um, and 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 that's that's exactly why because he can do it all. The biggest question for me, Shaf, and I'm going to come back to you on this one. John Jones is well known for taking what you're good at. So Daniel Cormier yeah. in wrestling, Thiago Santos in striking, um, you know, and, and, and trying to beat you at your own game. John Jones loves to test himself at doing what you're good at. If you're a good striker, John Jones will try and outstrike you. If you're a good grappler, John Jones will try and outgrapple you. I think if John Jones went in there this weekend, decided that he was going to wrestle fuck Cyril Garn, I think he could either submit him fairly quickly or I think he could just lay on top of him for five rounds and get the win.
0: Good,
1: But, and there's a big but, and we do not lie, do you think Jon Jones will do what Jon Jones does and try and beat Cyril Garn in the stand-up and try and beat him in that respect? And do you think at heavyweight where the power is different, you might get punished for that?
0: I'll be honest. What one thing I can see when watching Jones's personality over the past like ten years, I don't believe he is the same fighter we watched when he was in his early twenties. In his early twenties, not only was he a killer, but he was an, he, an absolute ego maniac. He's still got a huge ego now, but back back then it was completely out of hand. And he had to be fighting at the road. Game he had to be crawling out from his side of the octagon. But how I see this is and I think John's a little bit more humble now. I I listen to him in Embedded and he's fully aware that he's 35 and he's got grey hairs coming in. He's been in the game a long, long time. I don't think Jones, after having close fights with Thiago Santos and um, Reyes, is going to come out wanting to strike that much. I think he'd realise from them two fights, you take too much damage and you take too much risk. I think he's at the business end of his career and I think you'll see that the way of getting the win in this is by manipulating on the floor I think he, I think he's going to get gone around the neck rear really naked choke
1: good yeah, no, no night yeah I would be inclined to agree I, I've been watching the Embedded series again and w- without wanting to repeat myself too much if you are new you're not, not a, a typical UFC fan the UFC do sort of short 10 minute clips on the build up on fight week put them on YouTube they're always worth a watch and it's a little bit of an insight to the Fighters Fight Week. And you're absolutely right. John Jones does seem like a little bit of a, a different character at, at 35 years of age than even he did, you know, sort of five years ago. Um, he seems a lot more humble. He seems a lot more honoured to be doing what he's doing. Um, and he seems to be in a very, very good place mentally and physically in the build-up to this fight. Um, I think he is going to win. I think he's going to win by TKO. Oh. But the reason that I say that is because I think I don't think it'll be a knockdown, you know, and he'll knock him out. I think he'll get him, I think he'll take him down, he'll be in full guard, he'll land yeah. a nasty vicious elbow that John yeah. Jones does. Um, and I think John Jones will get the win via TK. I think he will stop Cyril Garn. Um, probably in the third or fourth round, uh, and I can see him coming away from the fight as the new double champ, uh former light heavyweight champion of the world and the new heavyweight championship of the world. Shafi, I'm, I'm assuming you can't see it any differently. I think you've just yes. mentioned there that you think he'll be a little bit more mature in
0: performance. Um, yeah, that's how I see it going. But I must say, like, when watching Cyril Garn, I really do think he's a phenomenal prodigy. Like, the amount of ability this guy has and the amount of athleticism, it is absolutely ridiculous. But I do think the difference will be John's fight IQ and the, the, the whole aspect of I'm going to take this fight where I want to take this fight. That attitude, that mindset. Whereas what I've seen with John, with like two of Asa, he was happy to have a fight, not actually just control the fight. He was happy just to be in there, swinging, brawling, having a great time. Well, being in the cage with John Jones, trying to have a great time, good luck with that. Um, the thing I would say that John really needs to be wary of, and I'm sure J- John always do does his homework, so I'm not that worried about this, but I do think this is gone. biggest chance, is when DC and A fought each other, the thing that I don't think many people saw coming was DC and the clinch going downstairs, coming upstairs, and literally, next thing you know, A's on the floor, and it was like, whoa, where's that come from? Now, I don't think this has been talked about enough, but I'm sure John, like I say, has done his homework Gone in the clinch with his elbow, my lord, like there, there's no light heavyweight in John's face that is capable of fighting the clinch. So, all I'd say is, John, any stand up position, break away or shoot. Do not get involved in that clinch lock with one elbow, and that could be it for you. But I really don't see the fight going anywhere that John doesn't want it to go. That's how I see the fight going.
1: Yeah. And again, we mentioned there, you know, John does like taking it to different places and beating you at what you're good at a lot of the time. So it'll be a very, very interesting prospect. So but at the end of the weekend, we will have a new heavyweight champion of the world. We will also see a defence of the UFC Women's Flyweight Championship of the world. And we'll also see a, uh, a maybe a star born in Bo Nickel and a star rising in Shakta. Shavkat can't or I'm just gonna give up on pronouncing his name. <laughs> but everybody knows I've I've mentioned him enough times uh, of Shavkat this weekend. So, Chaff, appreciate you so much for joining me on Kempis Combat Corner this week. It is a little bit of a longer Kempy's Combat Corner this week than it usually is, but um we wanted to pay uh, all due respect to the uh, to the to the consensus greatest of all time, the return of Johnny Bones Jones. Adam.
3: Lads, thank you very much. Very detailed and very entertaining to listen to. In just a few moments' time, um, I'll be joined back by Skin to go through the start of the Formula One season and he'll be giving us his locks as well. But, Kemp, thank you very much for joining me. I'm not going to expect you to stick around for the Formula One as I know you're not
1: a huge fan of the sport. I just don't see the point in a sport where from the start it's inherently unfair. No, way. no, it's like it's like the, we've just been talking about the UFC, John Jones versus Cyril Garn. The F1 equivalent to that is that John Jones turns up with concrete cinder blocks on his fists, and <laughs> uh, and and Cyril Garn turns up with pillows on his fists. Don't see the point, and I think it's fucking stupid. But if you enjoy Formula One, crack on! <laughs> wow.
3: There we go. Uh, Shafi, thank you very much for stepping in and sticking with us through the football and, of course, the locks. And, of course, Kemp's Comeback Corner. It's been good to get the insight of the Premier League title race from somebody that supports one of the two teams, albeit not going the way we kind of expected you to go when you were given us your prediction. But it's been a uh-huh. pleasure having you um, on the show. And uh, best of luck in your lock-ins.
0: Well, thank you, boys. Up the loaded sport Pod. It's been lovely being here. Thank you very much.
4: Thank you very much, mate. We'll have you
1: back at some point in the future as well, mate. Most definitely, it's been a pleasure having you, and thank you, uh, thank you for joining me me on Kempy's Combat Corner. And uh, yeah, up the city.
3: There we go. In just a few moments' time, we're back to discuss the start of the Formula One season. Welcome back to episode 35 of Loaded Sport. We are now going to start talking about the Formula One season, getting back underway in Bahrain this weekend, and it is set to be the longest Formula One season in history. Hopefully it doesn't feel like that for most of the supporters. I'm joined by one of those supporters now, Skin. Welcome back to Loaded Sport. You have uh, missed the football and Kemp's comeback corner, but it's good to have you back to go through the start of a brand new Formula One season.
2: Yes, mate. Busy, busy. Life is busy at the moment, mate. But uh, obviously, with the F1 starting, I thought I've got to spare a bit of time to, to chat with you. Um, because, yeah, there's there's a lot of things to discuss, a lot of things that can happen. Like you said, the longest ever season in Formula One. And I'm starting to question at what point does it just become a constantly year-round thing because there's only so many races they can add. But yes, there's, there's some races I'm really looking forward to this season Then uh, it should be a good one, mate. What, what are you thinking? I'm worried a little bit
3: that it becomes too stale because over the last eight, nine years or so, and I, I know this is going to sound like it's the exact opposite of an advert for Formula One, it's become more of a one-man show. It started with Lewis Hamilton. They had a nice yeah. little battle between Lewis and Max and then it became the Max Verstappen show. And yeah. I don't mind, I don't I don't really care who wins. My preference is McLaren. So, of course, I'd like Lando to go on and win it. I think he deserves one. But I know realistically that's not going to happen. We haven't got the car for it. So, to me, I just want to see entertaining racing. I want to see it neck and neck. I want to see it fighting to the, to the final race. And with 23 races, it probably keeps that season going a little bit longer before the inevitable happens. But at the moment, it just seems like it's one team. And, and yes, the team is changing every now and then, but it just seems like it's one team consistently winning and there's no competition with them. I mean, Max last season was miles ahead of Leclerc and granted that's down to Ferrari's own uh, strategical errors, but he was so far ahead that it made it boring and the final few races were just there for the sake of being there.
2: Yeah, definitely. And yeah, naturally you want competition and and, and where is that going to come in? By pretty much all expert accounts, it is going to be the uh, the the Red Bull car, specifically driven by Max, that is going to dominate. I know Mercedes have made a lot of changes, but it it, it doesn't look like it's enough that, that to to bridge that gap. It's more going to be that battle for second with a rejuvenated Ferrari, who I'm sure, like you said, getting rid of those strategic strategical errors, they, they should have a car that can compete for that top two and and they been in a much better position than they have been the last few years. But Red Bull. Are going to be impacted by the going over the cap. I've seen that they probably won't sort of feel that until the second half of the season, at which point they could be absolutely miles ahead and it it won't matter too much. So, yeah, I don't really know what needs to change. Naturally, you want to say everyone in equal cars like an F2 and and see who the best driver is, but we know that's never going to happen. So, yeah, the the first few races I'm sure will be have a lot of anticipation, but what eight to ten races in if it look, if it's pretty obvious where it's going as you said there with last season that's a long way to go for the rest of the season where it's pretty much nailed on what's going to happen and who's going to win. It is and I think for
3: teams it's all about fighting for that extra bit of bonus money isn't it you get the extra sponsorship you get the extra uh, reward money for where you finish but from a supporter's perspective a fan's perspective you're just going to be watching it for the sake of watching it and when, obviously, Silverstone's in the middle, so we've still got a lot to fight for 90% of the time. But when you're at the back end of the season, you've got some of these these nations that are hosting the races where people are still going to go because they're going to go and watch the races and they can say that they've been to a Formula One event. But from yeah. behind the TV screen, it's a very different story. And you just sat there watching it thinking, what's the point? I mean, who, who cares where Max finishes? He's already won the championship. Who cares where Lewis finishes or, or Leclerc? Anything like that. It, it, it kind of takes a little bit away from it. But... We're talking to negative about the start of a new Formula One season. So let's look at the positives. Max Verstappen back to back championships. He's now a two time world champion. Means you can't use his name when you've only won one on the Formula One game. But it is what yeah. it is. Your Red Bull, are you expecting it to be another season of dominance? Are you, I know, obviously, the hope is that's the case and you go on and win it. But what have you seen from Mercedes and from Ferrari in the, in the pre season testing that's really made you think maybe not as easy this year?
2: I haven't really. As I said there, pretty much everything is pointing towards another dominant Red Bull performance so I honestly think in terms of the overall standings come the end of the season from drivers and a uh, con- constructors standpoint, I think it'll be pretty much a similar gap to, to be honest. Yes, Ferrari will improve by getting their you know, their pit stops right and stuff like that. Yes, Mercedes will improve with the work they did on the car in the second half of the season but I think the work that Red Bull have done will just keep the gap the same. I don't think what, what's happened elsewhere will close it. There are things that I'm really looking forward to. You mentioned about races being stale when you're watching at home, and I think a lot of that comes down to the familiarity of, of the long-standing tracks. But the Las Vegas race, uh, I think, will be... I think the spectacle is the, is the right word to use. It'll be great. It's going to be during the night, so all the lights, all the glamour, all, you know, all that side of it. I think that will be a really unique addition to, uh, to the F1 calendar and they're, they're really ramping up their activity in the US aren't they after the, uh, the the Netflix documentary has really helped increase popularity over there they recently added Miami they've got Las Vegas starting this year as well which like I, say, I think will be one of the highlights of, of the calendar
3: yeah so of, of the new signings to new teams who is it that you're most looking forward to seeing so you've got Nick De Vries joining Alfa Pierre Gasly joining Alpine and Fernando Alonso joining Aston Martin You've got Nico Hulkenberg making his return back to Formula 1 with Haas, Oscar Piastri with McLaren, Logan Sargent with Williams also preparing for uh, their debuts in Formula 1. So is there any there that's really striking you? As you know what, I- I've seen enough about these in Formula 2. I'm looking forward to seeing these in F1.
2: Yeah, it, it's quite a bit of a mix-up, isn't it? You've just named all the all the changes and there's quite a, it is quite a, a mixed field this year, which should be... Uh, which should make things quite interesting. I am, however, uh, you'll probably like me saying this, but you know, you being a, a McLaren fan, but I am looking forward to seeing what what your two boys can do in in that car this year. Ricardo's gone very experienced, quite successful in the past. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that combination can do, and and I suppose bringing in a young driver from F2 like they did with Norris. Is that the potential for they're now sort of grooming him to be the the number one driver ready for Norris to make a big leap to maybe a Mercedes if Lewis is getting towards the end of his career over the next year or two? I think it'll be uh, quite interesting to see. I think you've just mentioned
3: there what Piastri and what Lando are going to be able
2: to do. I
3: know it sounds early days, but I'm going to say it, I'm not a huge fan of Piastri. Now, normally it's weird because as an NFL fan, I'm a fan of Richard Sherman. And to me, okay. he's, he's so arrogant, but I love it and I think it's brilliant. But Piastri, the impact, the, the impression I've got of him already is that he is quite arrogant. And I don't okay. think that's going to work very nicely within this McLaren team. And I think that all stemmed from the situation surrounding his signing for Alpine. Of course, when Alpine mentioned that he'd signed for them, he then confirmed that he'd not. It seemed like it was a bit arrogant. And I know that's me taking that probably way out of context and he's probably a nice bloke. And hopefully, if he's going to back it up on the on the track, I'm more than happy to say he's arrogant and I'm a fan because I like that sort of thing. But at yeah. the moment, I just feel like he's going to come into a team that's settled quite nicely. When we got Lando and when we got Ricardo, they were working quite nicely together. Yes, ricardo has gone. We've brought in another young talent that I think is going to have a lot to show and he's got a very bright future if he can keep his head on his shoulders in the right, right frame of mind. But I'm worried that it might upset the rhythm that we've started to build as we're starting to rebuild as a as a team now, and start to become a little bit more competitive. We are still miles away from your Red Bulls, your Mercedes, your Ferraris, but we're now starting to compete on a more regular basis as the best of the rest. We are starting to, on occasion, try and match up with Mercedes, try and match up with Ferrari. There were times last season when Lando and Ricardo were getting close to, to Russell or to Lewis and holding their own on occasions, on, on the straights and occasionally on the corners, depending on what track it was. So, yeah. so we are going in the right direction. I'm worried a little bit that this is a step back. I'm hoping, Obviously, it's not, but that's, uh, that's the impression I've got. So to uh, sum things up before uh, Formula One starts, I'm just going to ask you quickly, who's going to start on pole position this weekend based upon what you've seen through practices uh, in terms of pre-season testing, of course, no, uh, no first or second practice taking place at this point. Um, then I'm going to ask you who's going to win the, uh, the World Championship, who's going to win the Constructors' Championship and who's going to win on Sunday.
2: Max, Max, Red Bull, Max.
3: Wow. That dominant. You wanted it quickly, didn't you? I did, yeah. And I think, is that unbiased? Because I know you're a Max Verstappen fan.
2: Look, I'm a Red Bull fan. I'm a Max fan. I think currently he's he's the best overall package on the grid. But then he's got the best car, similar to how Lewis dominated for a very long time. But as I said earlier, at the moment, Using logic and using what I've got in front of me, I can't really see it pointing anywhere else. So uh, I, I would say it's a an non-biased answer. What okay. about yourself, um, so, Charles? On oh, well, Charles oh, on sorry. pole. Charles on pole on Saturday. Um,
3: okay. Max will win on Sunday because Ferrari will find a way to botch it, despite the fact they've now got a new team principal. I think there's still going to be some elements of what happened last year. And I think strategy is going to mess things around for Charles. I think sometimes it can take a little bit of a lunge when it's not needed and a little bit of an experience is what's cost him on occasion where he's needed to pit when on occasions he might have been able to stay out a little bit longer and, and it changes the game for him. So I think Max is still going to go ahead and win the race. Um, I can't see past Max and Red Bull winning um, the third championship for Max and I think it's like the, the eighth, is it, for Red Bull? Uh, something yeah. along those lines. I think that's going to be set in stone around about August, September, I think that's going to be. So, I think, yeah, Red Bull and and Max are going to go ahead and win it. But this weekend, I think Charles is going to have enough about him to get himself on pole position. So, uh, look forward to discussing that in a bit more depth with you on Tuesday on the review show. But, uh, Skin, thank you very much for joining me and going through the
2: Formula One. Well, looking forward to it, mate. It's good to have it back.
3: So, now everyone's managed to give their locks, scorers and wild cards. Skin, it's now your turn to uh, put yours forward because you've joined a little bit late. You're not going to be able to uh, pick anybody's selections, of course, but it also means you are going to be going last. So you've got fewer sides to pick from. For those that aren't aware, here's a reminder of what everyone's locks were earlier in the show. Um, I've gone with Northampton for my lock of the week. Kemp has gone for Man City. The score is I've gone for Sam Hoskins of Northampton, whereas Kemp has gone for Erling Haaland of Man City. The wild card, I've gone Leeds to win away against Chelsea. And Kemp has gone for, amazingly, Blackburn to win yeah. against Sheffield United. That really surprised me that he's gone against his own side. A guy that hasn't gone against his own side is Chaffee, as his lock was Arsenal, the side that he supports. His goal scorer is Christian Dennis of Carlisle in League Two. His wild card is Blackpool to win against Burnley. So for the scores, he's gone Arsenal to win 3-0 against Bournemouth, Man City to win 1-0 against Newcastle and Liverpool, and Manchester United to play out a one one draw, so
2: Skin, avoiding any of those six what are you going for? Start with your normally. I know we normally do the snake draft don't we and I've put myself at the bottom of each category but I couldn't miss the opportunity to document my, my picks Um, but yeah, so some interesting picks there, you, you and Kemp have both gone with the lock scorer combo which is, I think we like to call the Sam special um, Blackburn were my backup wild card, um, I, I can see them getting a result, they're in good form Big win for Sheffield United um, in the cup, so it might just took took a little bit out of them. And his the early kickoff as well, so not a bad pick. I'm very surprised that Sheffield went for Arsenal after Kent was absolutely adamant in the review show earlier this week that he wouldn't do that. And Arsenal were my first choice, but other than that, I'm pretty much unscathed in terms of going for for what I want to go for. So uh, my lock this week, Aggie, is going to be Middlesbrough, which I'm sure you won't be too surprised to hear, but. Uh, they're at home to Reading on Saturday. Reading have lost the last five away games. Middlesbrough are in the form that we know they're in. My team, Michael Carrick, is still doing bits, so I'll take Middlesbrough, seeing as Arsenal look on, mate. Funny about
3: Middlesbrough there. I mean, Arsenal were my first choice. Middlesbrough were my backup until I looked for Sam Hoskins and found Northampton. Uh, Kemp also had Middlesbrough as his backup, so you're very close to missing out on both occasions there. But no, Middlesbrough are free, so you've got Middlesbrough to win. Um, against Reading as your lock. What about your goal scorer? Is this a, a tube Akpom? Are you going to go for the Sam special?
2: So, I nearly did. Uh, I narrowed it down to three players um, and it wasn't uh That's my first choice, my backup, my second backup. It was just there the three players and then go with my gut when it came to it. So, those three players, Akpom was one of them, Martinelli for Arsenal was another and then Andy Cook for Bradford was the third. All in good form. All of scoring goals recently. ACPOM is the top scorer in the Championship. Andy Cook is the top scorer now in League Two. Um, so it was, again, it just came down to what my gut said. And I am going to go for Andy Cook for Bradford at home to Colchester this weekend. Bradford are in very good form. Colchester not in the worst of forms. They're not conceding a lot, but I just think they they should score at the weekend. And, and he's the man that is leading the way with the goals currently. He's top scoring in League Two, as I mentioned there on 18. So uh, I'll take a shot on lead two and Andy Cook for Bradford. Okay. so
3: with the wild card, what are you going for here? A team that you think is against the odds on the bookies. Just to let you know, Manchester United are not valid. I went for this against Liverpool and figured out they're actually down as favourites at Anfield.
2: Well, that's wrong because I've got United as my wild card. Are you sure? And, And when I checked, yeah liverpool the favorites it's just but liverpool are favorites right that
3: screwed me over i was going united so you're going to go with united go for it then if if the down is yeah. uh, if the down is underdogs in it go for it have it
2: well live, bet 365 i was liverpool listed at 11 to 8 which returns 1187 off a of fiver and man united at 15 to 8 which returns 1437 off a of fiver so yeah liverpool are, are favorites manchester united are a valid wildcard pick And I will take them, mate. So, in for you, but thank you very much.
3: I suppose you're welcome. Um, I trust you to keep um, a list of those then, and we can review them on uh, Tuesday's episode when we look. And hopefully, I'll be nine for nine over the past three weeks. It's looking unlikely, but what a turnaround that's going to be. It's very much reminiscent of uh, Istanbul in 2005.
2: I was just about to say two weeks ago I was 30% ahead of you for the year and come our review show you could be neck and neck with me depending on how this weekend goes so I need to turn my form around but yeah I'm confident with them.
3: Amazingly I'm okay with that. Skin thanks a lot for jumping back in to uh, go through these with you um, with me sorry and uh, we look forward to hearing the reviews on Tuesday.